Hello listeners, welcome back to Explore. My name's Hannah Rudd and I recently caught up with Ian Park, the aptly surnamed Associate Director of Grounds at the University of Exeter. In our chat, we talked about his time looking after the 153 hectares of grounds we have at Stretton campus and just what impact COVID-19 has had on them. Colleagues obviously not been able to access uh, campus because of the, the COVID restrictions meant that from the period April, about June, there was zero maintenance occurred on the, the campus. And that's the time where the, the grass in particular is at maximum growth level. So it did not take long to create an atmosphere to hide tigers and uh, other beings of uh, various sizes in uh, grass that was very, very long, and um, which brought some interesting comments because um, we're obviously committed to having a sustainable campus and trying to have um, biodiversity at the, the heart of what we're trying to, to deliver. But unfortunately, not everywhere on campus lends itself to that sort of treatment. But um, to the uninitiated, it looked as if there was a lot of wildflower on, on campus and the poorer bees and for other things, etc. But unfortunately, a number of uh, the weed species that appeared on campus were things which unfortunately are a poisonous and reportable weed, particularly bad for um, grazing animals and other things. Their stomachs can blow up as a consequence of uh, trying to eat on that, that stuff. So it's been quite an interesting exercise to see what it would look like if we weren't here. And then learning some lessons because we will not return to what the old normal was. We have some opportunities to change maintenance regimes in certain areas where it might be suitable to, to do that. Which sort of areas do you think will change as, as a result of the almost accidental wilding of the grounds? Well, if you took the simple example of a, a sports centre, for example, the main areas that require grass cutting in those areas are the areas that are used as actual sports pitches and the, the grass needs to be short round about there. But the perimeters of those areas can be allowed to grow longer and you can have a different diversity in, in those areas. So we are going to see if there's anything in, in those particular areas. There's other areas where it's quite apparent that um, it is normally difficult to, to cut. It might be because um, the ground's too sloping for some of the equipment that we want to use, or it might be that um, there's actually difficult access into, into the area and it's not very efficient for us to use pedestrianised grass cutting equipment to go into those areas. So we'll be having a critical look at those to find out if we can enhance them for biodiversity and um, introduce some um, wildflower or some bulbs or some something else that will allow it to remain longer grass for a longer period and encourage the biodiversity they can establish in, in there. We host quite a number of birds, insects and other wildlife. Have you seen any, perhaps not tigers, but anything interesting to report to listeners? Well, on campus, uh, we're very fortunate that if, if the staff are out and see something interesting as part of their journey, they will try and set up our capture cameras in those areas to try and find out what has been making a mark or what's been causing damage or what's been in the, the area. 
And so far, we've recorded um, a, a wide variety of species using using those. So we know we've got badgers on campus. We know we've got foxes on campus. We know we've got deer on campus. Um, even on one occasion, we managed to record a, an otter on on campus. So we know that we've got quite a, 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 a range of habitats that will support a wide range of things. But going to the smaller end of the, the scale, we also know that we've got what are becoming increasingly rare, like hedgehogs on campus. We know that we've got um, a lot of butterfly and insect activity on campus. Um, we know as well that we've got some insects which are fairly peculiar to the, the campus. We've got some fungi and uh, some algae that are also peculiar uh, and rare to the, the, the southwest, but we've got habitats that support those type of things on, on campus. And why do you think that is? How come we've got these rare and more exotic habitats? I think possibly because we've got some microclimates throughout the, the, the campus that will allow rare and unusual things to, to establish and not to be disturbed. And that creates a very healthy environment for them. So there's areas such as Tadiford Valley that get very sympathetic maintenance and in that aspect it allows an ecosystem to establish that is quite balanced and can uh, support a wide range of, of species. Um, so I think once something uh, realises that it's got the right thing there it will do. It has been said that there are more trees on campus than students is there any backing to support this? When I started 13 years ago, that was the, the case. We've got over 10,000 um, mature or semi-mature trees on, on campus. And at that time, we had a similar number of students. But as our institution has, has grown, um, we don't have as many trees uh, in that category as we have students. However, uh, if we included all the woodland sites that we actually actually manage, we're probably still exceeding the 22,000 or so students that we have. So if you wanted to record accurately how many trees are actually on campus against the number of students we've got, it's probably still in the balance of a tree for every individual student. But the woodland hasn't been recorded up until till this date with the number of trees that are actually in it. So we'll have to do the maths after that exercise has been completed. I won't ask you to start naming all 10,000 types of trees. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> we'll save that for another time. That, that's fine. I'm pleased about that. Thank you. <laughs> but if I were to put you on the spot and say, what's your favourite type of plant or flower, would you have an answer? Well, I need to tell you that it does depend on, on the season. And when you move into the, to the springtime, we're very fortunate that we've got a wide variety of uh, flowering bulbs that come in in the spring and they really do annoy, announce um, the arrival of, of spring and they're closely followed by uh, things that also favour which flower on the, the wood as they describe it. So you've got um, magnolias and cherries and other things that uh, start to flower first before they put leaves on and they're quite spectacular too. So what we're really trying to achieve with the campus is make sure whenever you visit and whatever your interest is, there's always something there that you can enjoy, whether that's flowers, whether that's bulbs, whether that's um, leaf colour, just something that you can come in and appreciate the, the campus with.
I know you've told me before that there's sort of areas suited for everyone to thrive in. Sports pitches, we've got different areas suited for different wildlife and trees. That's it. I mean, we're as well trying to make sure that we've got something to suit everybody's taste. So if you're very active and sporty, there's um, plenty of activity that you can enjoy the grounds for. If you're much more passive and all you really want to do is sit down and have something to, to eat, we've got places that you can enjoy that with. Or if your interest is to mingle with the, the wildlife and have a little bit of peace and quiet to yourself, there's plenty of periphery areas that you can go around and enjoy. You can go on a well-being walk or you can go on a, a gentle jog around the campus area. Just things that um, hopefully make the grounds as much of an asset for as many people as possible. And I understand that you've also got a good web presence and cameras that we can watch if we're studying remotely. Yep. What happens is that uh, we've been very fortunate that we've got a lot of followers of our Instagram pages and as well as activity that we place on there, we also get sent by some of our followers stuff that they've seen while they've been on campus and we host that on our web pages. So if people are interested, they can go to the grounds web pages and find out um, what's going on on campus. We try and make sure that all our followers can get to see what um, is, is happening through through that. But we're always delighted to hear if somebody's got something of interest that we can host. And where can we send that to or watch them at? The address, the best address to use is our grounds email, which is grounds at exeter.ac.uk. And um, Vicky is very good at um, using the information that's sent there to, to host on the, the web pages. So that's the first point of contact that should be used. I've also been told that some of the plants that we have on campus aren't exactly native and some of them have come from quite far-flung reaches of the globe. Is that true? It is. We've been very fortunate that the original part of the campus, which is round about uh, Reed Hall, was originally planted out through a commission to the Veach family of nurserymen. The RHS um, hosts their, their show every year. And they funded journeys by plant collectors through to collect plants from throughout the world. So from China, from the Americas, from African countries, etc. as well, to bring them back as into first cultivation in the, the UK during the 19th century. So some of the plants that we have planted round about reed uh, were examples of the plants that were brought back by the first plant collectors. Plant collectors like the, the Love Brothers from Cornwall and E.H. Wilson, Chinese Wilson, uh, who did his collecting in China. And also we've got some species that are actually were brought back in the Voyages of the Beagle, for example, um, to the New Worlds. And it's great to have things of that nature on campus that are still there that were brought back in the 19th century. And um, it's a tremendous asset for the, the university to have those type of things. That is really exciting and quite nice to be able to walk, walk through history almost. It is a um, part of living history, yeah. Nice fort as you go through the grounds. And where would we find these areas? If you walk through Reed Hall, um, as soon as you come to the first flight of steps in, in Reed Hall, walking down from the centre of the, the campus, going towards uh, Burks and, and that area, all the the campus on from Queen's Drive down to Reed Hall it was all part of that original commission and was laid out um, by the Veach family of nurserymen. The, the house Reed 
uh, hall was built um, with money that was something in the region of £80,000. And uh, the Veach family for laying out the, the nurse, laying out the grounds um, got paid something in the region of £70,000. So you can see just how much um, value was pla placed on the landscaping at that time by the, by the person who built the house. And they're both listed, aren't they? The house and the yes. grounds. Yeah, a listed house and a listed landscape. Very good. Do you have a highlight from your time so far? Um, it's all been very interesting, but um, I certainly enjoyed working to make sure that the new forum complex blended in with the, the surrounding in, environment. I think there's always a challenge when you bring a new building in to make sure that it sits in its environment. And those are the things that I enjoy doing most. I enjoy working with the university to make sure we can continue to expand and expand in a sympathetic manner, which brings in the value of the, the grounds uh, round about the, the development that takes place. So there's always something for people to, to enjoy and to appreciate. I think there's a tremendous recuperation value in having good quality grounds round about that you can work in and you can study in and just take a breath and relax in from time to time. If you needed that moment yourself, where would you go on campus? Um, I'm probably luckier than most because I do know where some of the areas that you can have that uh, breather for are. But um, students have described to me um, the area which is known as a plantation, which runs down adjacent to Stocker Road uh, and the hill there. Um, they've described that as um, an ability to start at one end, listen to the birds singing, um, come out the other end and you've changed from Neanderthal man into um, uh, a human being by the time you come through the, the, the bottom of it. And I've got to say that on occasions where um, I've been stressed myself, that walk has been uh, therapeutic to myself as well. So I think probably that's one of the areas that I would recommend to, to, to people just to take that little breath of air and listen to the bird song. And um, the other place that would be uh, that seems to create that aspect is we own the, the large farmer's field um, at the end of Stocker Road. Um, that's known as the Lower Hoopern Valley. And there is a pathway that goes through there. And it's a similar sort of experience as you walk through through there. You begin to hear less and less of the, the noise of cars and, and people and you hear more and more of the, the bird song. So it has a restorative um, impact. And are these featured on the wellbeing walks? The valley doesn't because um, the conditions are there are quite difficult under underfoot. Um, but the plantation and uh, the route roundabout there does, and it takes in a lot of our um, waterways and other things. So there's quite a, a nice route around to be able to, to do with, with that. Um, and the, the routes are mapped out. You can you can download a PDF of um, how to, to make that route any particular time. And I know a lot of our colleagues, um, when they have visitors from other places, will use that uh, PDF to try and give them a a tour of our campuses when they when they come up because it um it's quite nice to be able to walk around and then go for your your coffee or your cup of tea afterwards um if you're on campus. Agreed. Where would we find these PDFs? Again on the the grounds um web pages. Um, there's a section called Visit Us, and under that you can uh, download some of these uh, materials. Great. Thank you. I'll also share some links for those. So for anyone who's interested in pursuing a career in gardens, grounds or horticulture, would you have any top tips or advice? Well, the first thing that I would do is, is 
to uh, put your toe in the water to find out if you like it. So an idea would be to try and see if you can offer help for somebody who's perhaps got an allotment or a large garden. And after that, you might want to have a look to see if um, there's some volunteering opportunities. So um, places like uh, National Trust Properties, such as at Killerton and, and other places, are often looking for people who uh, could volunteer to do it. So you can get a feel for whether you think it's the right thing for, for you to be able to, to do. After that, you can look, um, there's a, a web page called Grow Careers, um, which is actually to help people either go into horticulture for the first time or um, perhaps go into horticulture as a, a change in, in career. But it provides some indication about um, where courses are run and what you can actually do and who offers them. Uh, and I think that's an excellent opportunity for, for people to get some handle on. We're lucky at the moment as well. There's, there's a lot of uh, apprenticeship schemes that are in operation. Our own workforce has three or four apprentices in it. Um, and the apprenticeship scheme gives them a qualification, but also gives them an opportunity to find out if they want to do that type of job at the end of their period that they've been allocated for their, for their studies. Um, and that's been quite successful for us. We've now got two or three permanent members of staff who have come through that scheme and have really enjoyed the, the thing. So I would make um, those type of recommendations is don't leap into it, because the one thing you're never going to be, unfortunately, is a millionaire in terms of money. But you might be a millionaire in terms of uh, enjoyment, physical well-being, mental well-being, other things, etc., and the benefits that you bring to others through the work that you do. Mm. Have you found that working in grounds and outside and so forth has improved your well-being? My personal belief is that it's essential to my my well-being. I'm I'm, I'm not predisposed to being inside the office um, for all of my shift all week. I find it um, much more rewarding to be able to get outside and um, to e either speak to the, the staff on, on site or to get to one of the venues where uh, something's happening to see what that actually is. Um, an entire week spent in the, the office, um, it makes me more grumpy than I should be. <laughs> um, I agree. I, I did find that sort of the light at the end of the tunnel during lockdown was being outside for our daily exercise, discovering new routes around the city and the nearby countryside. So I definitely agree with that. For those of us, for students or members of staff who are in flats and don't have access, like immediate access to their own grounds, or how could we bring more wildlife and more nature into our lives? perhaps through um, house plants or window boxes. Plants and, and window boxes. House plants at the moment are very in vogue. Um, <laughs> it's a very popular thing to be able to have, um, not just for pretty plants, but also growing um, herbs and vegetables and other things, etc. can be used for that. Um, and if if you want more wildlife in, in accordance with those as well, the likes of the addition of uh, bird feeders and other things on the, the balcony should mean that you will get visited by uh, other things too. And you want to encourage that as much as possible because particularly if you're deciding to grow veg, for example, um, you're likely to get visited by, by slugs and uh, things that might also want to compete with you to eat what you want to eat. And if you can encourage birds and other things, they will predate on those and manage to keep the, the numbers down. So even if you've got a small space, if you wanted to grow something and it's entirely possible, 
if you're not very comfortable to use soil, there are lots and lots of systems of hydroponics uh, available where you can use water and, and nutrients to try and grow uh, things in. And they're very, very good for producing leafy vegetables, for example. So everybody should have the opportunity to do something um, to grow something. And if you've got a, a young family, for example, and we go into another lockdown scenario, that they can't always get to school. Um, they can have a short turnaround by trying um, crops of mustard and cress, for example, on um, things like cotton wool or um, tissue paper. And it shows how quickly something can be grown that you can actually eat. So there's lots of opportunities out, out there for people to, to try their hand at horticulture and um, zero carbon uh, food production. I just had um, vague flashbacks to growing crush at primary school. And <laughs> how long does it take to grow? I can't quite remember. It's only a few weeks that it'll, it'll take for you to be able to, to crop that off. And it doesn't require very much input at all. If you're keeping it from drying out um, yeah. and just keeping it moist, it should keep... Instant gratification of the plant. Was. Almost. It's, it's, it's not quite as good as that, but it's certainly... Um, <laughs> retain people's interest for the time that it takes to, to get it to maturity anyway. Great well thank you so much for joining us today Ian it's been really interesting and hopefully we can speak to you again soon. Thank you very much. Bye now. Bye.